Welcome back, everybody. We are continuing on in Philippians this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 is where we will be. Uh, Pastor Randy had shared on Facebook this morning that he was at a a Presbyterian free church in Scotland today where the elder had shared a logical, theologically sound 50-minute sermon this morning. Uh, I can promise you that this won't be at least one of those. You will just have to tell about the other two. I love that James at least gets my jokes. Thank you. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If you would turn there, stand with me, and we'll read this together. Father God, we ask that this morning you would open our hearts and our eyes to your word. Father, that you would allow it to penetrate into our souls, that you would speak to us and speak through us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking on the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is God's inspired word for us this morning. You may be seated. Now, I said we'll be in Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. Really, this is going to be on the first four verses, 1 through 4, and we'll begin to tackle the the next part of it um, next time, uh, probably next week. And Paul begins here, are you encouraged or comforted? And he's asking this rhetorical question, is there any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. You know, do you experience these things? Have you seen the benefits of faith in your life in this way? And if so, then complete my joy by living in this way. Now remember that Paul is talking about, he's talking from prison. Paul is not saying complete my joy by praying for me. He's not saying complete my joy by sending money. Not complete my joy by getting me out of jail. But complete my joy by living like this. And so he gives us a threefold directive on how Christians ought to live to complete his joy. The first one is oneness. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 
Now, being, being narrow-minded is not really a good thing, is it? I would say, probably not. I've had this theory for a little while, that, and, and I've had to adjust it as, as I've gotten myself a little bit older. I had my theory of men of a certain age, okay? And, and of course, I'm not talking about anybody in this room. But men of a certain age like to do things a certain way. Things must be just so in certain things. Does anybody, can anyone relate to that? No. Okay. And if they're not just so, then they are wrong. But really, it's not just men of a certain age, and it's not just people of a certain age, but I think this is kind of all of us. And I was going to share an example from, from a relative of mine on Facebook. I decided it was a little bit too mean. And so if I wanted to humiliate someone, it has to be myself. Okay? So honestly, I'm probably more guilty of this than just about anybody that I know, which is probably why I notice it in so many other people. So if you notice things in someone else, that's typically a sign that it's probably a problem with you. Here's a small illustration um, from my life. One of my just so's is the dishwasher. Okay? Megan is already laughing because she knows that there is a right way and a wrong way to load the dishwasher. Absolutely. <laughs> Amen. I, I believe that with, with every fiber of my being. Things have to go in there just so. And there's this glorious feeling about opening up the dishwasher four hours after you push the button, and everything that was perfectly arranged is now perfectly clean, and you can take it out and put it in their perfect little places, right? It's just this wonderful thing of beauty. It has to be just so. Uh, if, if you want more of my just so's, you, you can talk to Megan. I'm sure she would love to, uh, to fill you in on them. Um, I don't want to publicly embarrass myself any more than necessary. Um, but there's a difference, right, between being narrow-minded, which that is, and being single-minded, which is what Paul is commanding us to be. 1 Peter 3, 8 echoes the instruction that we find here in Philippians. It says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. There's a Dutch song called Een in Geest and Stephen, which is one in spirit and pursuit. It demonstrates what being single-minded looks like. One in our endeavor, one in song forever, one in word and deed. One in adoration, one in thank oblation, one in praise, our creed. One glorious aim, our goal the same, one in strength and striving, help from God deriving. One in our endeavor, our song, our word, our deed, adoration, a thank offering, praise, one in goal, one in strength, one in striving. This is what it looks like to be single-minded. Now, we all have our own personal preferences or opinions. You know, I like to do things in a certain way, and I'm sure that you do as well. And there are some very worthy things that we, ought, that we could get upset about, like maybe how we view Scripture. But honestly, the things that I tend to get the most worked up about aren't biblical or spiritual, but they're personal. And they're petty, and often they're very inconsequential. It's been said many times that if you want to go to a church with everyone that agrees with you, well, then you better go to a church alone. But as my friend Chris uh, reminded us in Sunday school the other day, well, sometimes in the morning I think one way, 
and the afternoon I think another way, so I better make sure I go with myself at the right times of day if I want to agree with myself. Rarely do I agree even with myself. Commentator R. Kent Hughes was writing about a church, that uh, this terrible church split some time ago in Dallas, Texas. It was this big, nasty, contentious uh, argument between among a church where both sides actually went to a judge to sue each other for possession of the church property. It became, uh, the story went out in the local papers, everybody had a field day with it. The judge actually sent it back to the denominational courts and said, you know, you guys decide this matter amongst yourselves. Well, one local reporter started doing some investigating to find out what was the root cause of the problem in the church. And he found out this very interesting tidbit. The origin was that at one church supper, there was a child seated next to an elder and the child got served a larger slice of ham than the elder of the church. That was it. It all traced back to this. Now, that's not having the same mind, of course. That's, that's just simply petty. And there's far too many examples of people leaving the church, not over theology or biblical authority questions, but simply over having feelings hurt. Instead of two parties seeking to come together and resolve their issues... Somebody leaves, or someone, sometimes someone says or does something that's harsh or cruel. Other times it's not doing something that someone thinks ought to be done. Not that church leaders are immune from this as well. But this is what happens when Christians aren't single-minded. See, having the same mind is then revealed in having the same love. The love for God in Christ and the love for his people. In John chapter 13, 34 through 35, Jesus told his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now let's just be real clear here. Church people aren't always the easiest people to love. Why is that? Well, because I have all the answers. And I've heard people say on more than one occasion, just because I'm commanded to love somebody doesn't mean I have to like them. Now, can you imagine this playing out in your day-to-day life? It's not necessarily a great way to attempt to start a relationship. Imagine if I would tell Megan, well, the Bible tells me that I have to love you. But it doesn't tell me I have to like you. That wouldn't go very well in my house. So in a very real way, to demonstrate the love of Christ to someone, you do have to actually like the person you're trying to love. And remember that Jesus was the harshest with those who thought that they had it all together. The hypocritical, know-it-all religious leaders. Those are the people Jesus didn't have the time of day for. But for the sinners, the Samaritans, the societal outcast, Jesus demonstrates incredible patience and care. Now, to love someone doesn't mean that you have to agree with them all the time. But you ought to be able to find something to like about them. Because after all, we're all created in the image and likeness of God. So having the same mind is revealed and having the same love, which results in having the same purpose, the same cause, or the same mission, being in full accord. See, what is our cause? What is our purpose? What is our mission? If you were here last week, Pastor Keith powerfully demonstrated that the mission is people. 
You know, what were Jesus' parting words to his disciples? But they were to go and make disciples. Go and tell. That is our mission. People is the mission, and people is the method, and we must be in full accord in one mind about this mission. Unity in mission is a mark of Jesus' church. So the first directive is oneness. The second is lowliness. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now here's our problem, is that we want to do everything out of selfish ambition. It's in our DNA, it's in our nature, it's in our culture, it's the soup that we swim in. Look out for number one, God helps those who help themselves. Yet John Chrysostom said that there is nothing so foreign to a Christian as arrogance. The only way we can join together with a single mind is to think less of ourselves. You know, what is the secret to marriage? It's a secret, I can't tell you. What's the secret to marriage? This has been proven time and time again. It's unbelievable. Low expectations. Right? Low expectations. See, here's our problem is that we judge ourselves by our best intentions, but we judge others by our worst assumptions. I didn't do what I was supposed to do, but I didn't really mean not to do it. I really meant to. Now, remember the dishwasher, right? Can you believe that she intentionally put the cup in there like that? It must have been because I forgot her anniversary again. How dare she? Well, no, the problem is that she just put a cup in the dishwasher. And you forgot her anniversary, but that has nothing to do with the cup in the dishwasher, right? It's amazing how quickly we go on the defensive about perceived personal attacks. We think very highly of ourselves. Blaise Pascal said that what amazes me most is to see that not everyone is amazed at his weakness. See, admitting our weakness is not a bad thing. And we don't even like people who act like they have it all together. They come off as inauthentic or fake or plastic. You know, I'd rather deal with somebody who can admit that they have a problem than than try to help somebody that can't admit that. You can't help someone who doesn't admit that they have problems. And we can't work on problems that we don't admit to, that we don't recognize. And the power of Christ is most evident in our weaknesses. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. It says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, when we can't admit our weaknesses, then we can't allow God to begin to work in our lives. His power is not demonstrated through my strength, but through my weakness. But consider others more significant than yourselves. 
going back to marriage. In his book on marriage, called The Meaning of Marriage, Timothy Keller beautifully illustrates that marriage is supposed to be an illustration of our relationship with God. See, in marriage, two people can't put in 50% each and come out with 100. That's not how the marriage math works. You have to have 100 and 100 coming together to form 100. To love and care for someone else is not a half-hearted affair. See, love is putting someone else's needs before your own. And there's a saying that humility isn't thinking less about yourselves, but thinking about yourself less, which is, which is mostly true. False humility is saying bad things about yourself that you know aren't true, so that someone else will come and tell you otherwise. But true humility is counting someone as more significant than you, putting their needs before your wants. And we'll take a greater detailed example at the look at, at humility in the life of Christ next week. So oneness and humility work together and produce helpfulness. This is the third directive. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do you notice that there's an assumption here that we will actually care for our own needs? For most people, unless we've fallen into some sort of depression or mental illness, we will take care of ourselves. And we don't have to be told to watch out for our own interests. In fact, what does the golden rule say? Love your neighbor as yourself. This isn't just love your neighbor, but love them like you love you. And it's amazing how oftentimes when we do things for ourselves, it's just second nature. But if we do things for someone else, we start to think about it a little bit more. I remember listening to a, a sermon by Francis Chan who, was, who asked how often when we're asked to help or to give to a certain person or mission or to a missionary, how often do we respond, well, let me just pray about it for a little while. But on the other hand, did I pray about it before I bought myself a new TV? Did I pray about it before I decided where I wanted to go to dinner that night? Did I pray about it before I realized I needed a vacation at the beach? Did I have to sit down and discern the will of the Lord? Or did I just think, well, yeah, I need a TV and that one's on sale. Or, well, we got to eat somewhere, so let's go out to dinner. See, I think of myself. I love myself. I look out for my own interests. And it's okay to love myself, but I also need to have that same love for others. In 1 John three sixteen through 18, it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. See, love plays itself out in the real world. It's not just something that we talk about. It's not just something that we pray about. It's something that happens. It comes about in helpfulness. If we have experience from God, encouragement, support, comfort, affection, sympathy, then we must be quick and freely offer it to others as well. And some of us might be thinking here, okay, maybe I'm a little bit convicted. Where do I start? You might not like the answer to this. 
Commentator William Hendricks says that all true Christianity starts at home. All true Christian activity begins at home. You're thinking, oh, that's the one place I can't do it. You don't know the people that I live with. It can be hard to practice Christianity with the people that you spend the most time around. That's why we have to be commanded to love our spouses. We have to be commanded to love our children. Children have to be commanded to respect and obey their parents. The more time that we spend with people, the more we're exposed to their flaws and their faults. And the less we feel like helping them out, the less we feel like loving them. See, but Jesus doesn't add the caveat, love your neighbor as long as they've loved you. We aren't told to first look after our own interests. This isn't like the airplane where the mass drops. This is affix it to yourself before you affix it to the person next to you. We don't get to say, I'll do this for them as long as they do it back for me one day. But we live this way because Jesus did first. He had one mind with the Father, one love, and one mission. He made himself low and offered the greatest help the world has ever known to those who didn't even realize how bad off they were, to a stubborn and selfish and arrogant people. Even for you and me, he gave his life. That is the example that we're called to follow. Let's pray. Father God, it is clear that to experience the fullness of joy, to experience the full life of a Christian, Lord, we have to have the same mind, the same heart, the same love. Lord, we must be low and freely give of ourselves. And God, this is not something that comes easy. In fact, it is probably the most difficult thing to do in the world, and we cannot do it in our own power. But Lord, in our weakness, that's where you are strong. We pray that you would come into our brokenness, into our weakness, and give us the strength and power to live out our lives as Christians, to follow the example that you set. Lord, not to think of ourselves, but to look out and to see the needs of those around us. We are grateful for the love and mercy and grace that you've so lavishly poured in our lives. We ask you to help us to show that to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.